Hello, pals. This is Dr. Zom. Um, I'm just took Miri for a walk, and um, it's very cool out the last couple of days. Uh, it was very cold last night, and um, she camped out last night again. For some reason, I thought that yesterday was or yesterday was Tuesday. And, um, <clears throat> so I thought I have to put the trash out and, uh, um, I kept wondering why, uh, nobody, uh, the mailman had not picked up my mail. Well, um, now that I am retired, it, uh, I, <laughs> I must just, uh, get the, um, the day screwed up, um, uh, and, it was not, uh, today is not Wednesday. Today is Monday. So, uh, <coughs> the mail does not run on Sunday and the trash man does not come on Monday. Um, so anyway, that was a, uh, a flub up. Um, I then, um, posted the, um, the show from yesterday, uh, and I was saying at the beginning of last time's show that I had had problems with uh, an error coming up when I was trying to link uh, between WordPress and uh, FileDuck uh, to the show. And when you link your file to WordPress, then it um, then links it to the Sylvan Gold webpage, and then to uh, iTunes. Well, um, it must have been just a glitch with uh, WordPress because when I did it yesterday for the newest show, it just worked fine, like nothing was wrong. Like every time I do it, you know, it just goes through and it works. And then I went back and I thought, well, okay, I'm going to go back to the show before that because I noticed that it hadn't showed up on iTunes yet. And when I and I was going to redo that one so it would show up on iTunes. And when I went back to um, do it again, it was all green on there, and everything said successful, and everything was fine. So again, it must have been WordPress, um, and um, I know they had had an update. Um, and like Loaf said, uh, anytime that you get a new update. Uh, and I know this from my job, uh, you know, when they, when they do new updates and stuff, a lot of times, my God, it might, you know, the whole night they might be doing this update and then find out that it didn't work and have to back out of it. So maybe that's what was happening. Uh, but it's working fine now. And when we went for a walk, I was listening to some of my podcasts that I listened to. And, uh, right before we got back, I looked on there and both of the new Sylvan Gold, um, podcasts were on there. So that's kind of cool. Um, but anyway, I just, again, uh, a little bit, uh, you know, just kind of bored and stuff and, uh, um, got some good rest and thought I would jump on here again and, um, uh, just talk about some things, uh, like, you know, that's going on on Facebook and, uh, just, you know, again, uh, an informal show. Uh, I think the last formal show was probably when Loaf was on here and we actually were talking about movies, but, um, that we actually picked and said, okay, this is what the show is going to be about. Um, but 
I was going to look at some of the stuff that I had um, been checking out on YouTube because that predominantly, um, I watch that all the time. Hang on one second. I'm going to pause for a second. Daddy-o. There is a plethora of things, I guess, that we can talk about. And if there isn't, I'll fake it. <laughs> Today is Shirley McLean's uh, birthday. Shirley Beatty McLean. She is Warren Beatty's older sister. Uh, I have always had a little bit of a crush on Shirley MacLaine going back and watching her old movies uh, when she was just really super cute and had a lot of um, pizzazz, I guess you might say. I like her little her little short haircut and red hair and everything. Um, I definitely was a big fan of The Apartment uh, with her and... Jack Lemon and Fred McMurray. I thought that was a really good movie. And um, also, um, Terms of Endearment. Um, which I remember my mom and sisters were down in our family room watching Terms of Endearment. And it was funny because they all came upstairs. My dad and I were probably watching like Charles Bronson or something upstairs or Clint Eastwood or something like that. And um, here they all come upstairs and they're all three of them. My mom and my two sisters are bawling. They got tears running down their face and they're just crying like crazy. So we, we were laughing and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe you guys. Uh, it's a really good movie and it is really, it's got a lot of funny stuff in it. Uh, but it also has some really heartfelt and sad stuff in it too. Um, I could see how, um, cause it's about, um, you know, a mother and daughter and their relationship, um, through the years, uh, which was Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger, uh, also has, um, Jack Nicholson in it. And I love his character in the movie. Uh, he plays an ex astronaut and, uh, it's, it's a really, really good character. I, I'm, you know, I, I was going to say, I'm glad that he took that role, but I mean, you know, I really love that, the, the character and everything and nothing is sugar coated in that movie. Um, let's see what else was little Shirley Mack in that I have seen here. Okay. The apartment, I'm going to look at this real quick. Um, one of the reasons I liked this movie was because, you know, you can almost kind of relate to it to a point uh, where if you liked somebody, you know, somebody at work or just any, well, wait a minute. I'm scrunching over my desk trying to turn up this thing. Or even, um, you know, just somebody in general, you like them and you have a, a good relationship with them and everything and you think to yourself, we would be, you know, perfect together, but then they're either already hooked up or seeing somebody who's like a, a kind of a piece of shit or, you know, an asshole or whatever. And then they come to you and tell you what a, what a, a dickwad the person is. Um, this is a Billy Wilder movie, so no wonder it's good. I mean, he did so many good movies. And I like Fred McMurray. You know, I grew up watching Fred McMurray on My Three Sons. And he always played, you know, he played the dad on that show. 
And uh, but I did not know for the longest time because he was an older guy at that time. I didn't know for the longest time that he had played so many you know shitheads in movies because uh, on My Three Sons he was such a nice guy. He was like the perfect perfect father. Let's see who else was in this. Not a lot of people that I know, but it's let's see. I'm going to scroll down here real quickie. Cheryl. And, you know, it was, it's one of those movies where you're, it's a definitely a good chick flick too, uh, even though it's an older movie and you're rooting for um, Jack Lemon to, uh, you know, get the girl and for her to, you know, open her eyes and, you know, and definitely rooting against uh, Fred McMurray. Uh, Ocean's Eleven. Um, that's, I like that movie. Uh, she only has like a small, like cameo part in it, uh, where she plays a drunk girl who, uh, just happens to be, uh, walking into a casino or I think, yeah. And she's drunkard and shit. Uh, but she was kind of like a part of the rat pack with, uh, Sinatra and Sammy, uh, Peter Lawford and, um, Dino and, um, uh, Larry Bishop's dad, Joey Bishop. Um, but I like Ocean's Eleven. I liked the one with uh, George Clooney, but the original was definitely, it just had so much more swagger to it. And, uh, and you know, you could tell they were all having a really good time. All-star cast, uh, Frank Sinatra, Dino, um, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, Angie Dickinson, who was a total dish, who I used to watch all the time on Police Woman uh, way back in the day where she played uh, the uh, police detective uh, the titular policewoman, and her name was Pepper, with an Earl Holloman was on that show. Richard Conte is in this. Uh, Joey Bishop, Henry Silva of the um, uh, for our show, the uh, titular Henry Silva, <laughs> and um, he was good friends, I think, with the Rat Pack people too. Um, Norman Fell from uh, Three's Company. Um, so, but anyway, so this you know, uh, it's a good caper movie. Uh, I was gonna say heist movie, but you know, uh, I like how they um, all get together and they and they tell they they tell their kind of like background story of of all the guys, and you can tell that they're all buddies in real life. They're buddies. They're all buddies and former um, um, soldiers. They were soldiers together in like the Korean War, and then, um, um, but it really shows that they're buddies in real life uh, while making this. And so that's a good one. Again, Shirley looked really good in that one. She was so cute. She was so cute. Um, let's see here. Ocean's Eleven. And then... The Children's Hour. Oh, okay, I did see this one. That's why I clicked on it, because I, I recognized the uh, movie poster. Uh, this was a William Wyler movie, and it's uh, Audrey Hepburn, Shirley MacLaine, and James Garner. And this is a really good movie because this movie came out in 1961, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it, it actually covers a subject uh, quite openly um, that, at that time, uh, the only thing that I had seen around that time uh, that covered the same subject were, were usually um, like uh, movies made um, in England or, you know, Great Britain or whatever. Um, 
I'll tell you, okay, I've always liked James Garner, of course, uh, in just about everything, even movies, but um, I really liked him in The Rockford Files, and um, if you go back and watch the old Maverick Westerns, but um, also in The Great Escape and Grand, Grand Prix, um, trying to think what else, uh, Support Your Local Sheriff, Support Your Local Gunfighter, um, the one Marlon Brando movie I can't think of off the top of my head which was pretty good. Um, but really, honestly, Audrey Hepburn in this, um, she it kind of, I don't know if I would want to say it irritated me, but um, she's just, even the way she talks and the way she acts and everything, and I know a lot of people love Audrey Hepburn, uh, it seemed, I, I don't know, I just, I, I found her to be kind of like phony, uh, the acts, sort of the, uh, you know, the way she talks, her accent and everything. And, um, I, I, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll have to watch some more stuff that she's in. Uh, I don't recall a lot of things that I, that I have seen her in. Um, the children's hour, a rebellious student at a girl's school accuses two teachers of, uh, spoiler alert. So I'm not going to say what that is. Um, but anyway, that's one definitely worth checking out. If you guys want to check it out, it rates a 7.8 uh, out of 10, so that's pretty good, you know, if you if you go by that, if anybody ever goes by that. Uh, My Geisha, I have seen this, and I thought it was pretty good. Um, in today's world, it might not go over well because Shirley MacLaine is playing a, um, a uh, well, no, she actually uh, just, she plays a Geisha, but she's dressed she disguises herself as a geisha. And um, so I don't know how well that would go over if people would, I don't know if people would consider that whitewashing because it is, you know, the part of the story itself is that she is a Caucasian woman uh, and she wants a role in a movie in Ma Madame Butterfly. So she disguises herself by pretending to be Japanese and pretending to be a geisha. Uh, this stars, of course, Shirley Mack, uh, Yves Montan, and Edward G. Robinson. I really like Edward G. Robinson in just about everything I've seen him in. Uh, I like going back and watching his old gangster movies, but also, um, oh, the uh, Orson Welles movie, uh, The Stranger. Um, he plays like a detective in that. Uh, just about anything he's in, uh, I really like him in. Robert Cummings uh, is in this uh Tatsuo Saito, uh, Yoko Tani, uh, Tame Kiyokawa. Uh, let's see who else. I don't see anybody else that I recognize in this. This is a pretty good one. It's lighthearted and everything. Uh, uh, and again, because I like Shirley MacLaine, I will watch or I have watched it and I would probably watch it again. It's not like one of my favorites or anything. Two for the Seesaw. That is Shirley Mack and Robert Mitchum. I really like this one um, because, again, the way it's sort of a sort of a chick flick, sort of a love story, but it doesn't. It's another one that doesn't pull any punches and isn't like just you know generally a love story. Boy meets girl, girl is with somebody else, or you know not interested in him, and then um, uh, they end up somehow, you know, they, they develop a relationship, 
then they end up finally getting together and you're like, oh, cool, they're getting together. But then something happens and they split up, something comes between them, and then in the end, they end up together. Uh, this one doesn't really follow that pattern, which I kind of like. Um, let's see, this is uh, directed by Robert Wise. And uh, um, let's see, who else is in this? Robert Mitchum, Shirley MacLaine, Edmund O'Brien, or Edmund Ryan. I almost said Edmund O'Brien just by mistake. Ken Berry, who was on Mayberry RFD, which was a spinoff of um, the Andy Griffith Show. Harold Gould, who, if you see him, you will recognize him. He was in a ton of TV shows back in the day, and he was also in the movie The Sting with Robert Redford and uh, Paul Newman, who my ex-girlfriend always reminds me that uh, my mom told her at one time how good-looking she thought Paul Newman was back in the day. And she said, I think that uh, your mom might... She goes, oh, your mom loves you. And she said, but I think she might love Paul Newman even more than she loves you, which is pretty funny. Um, uh, Robert Mitchum and Shirley MacLaine in the spicy and poignant love story about a free-spirited Greenwich Village girl, Shirley Mack, uh, who hooks up with a brooding Nebraska lawyer. I liked Robert Mitchum in this, and I, I liked that... He didn't just, I, I loved him in like the Yakuza and Friends of Eddie Coyle and tough guy roles like that. Or, you know, he played the psycho uh, preacher with uh, love and hate on his knuckles and all that shit. But, uh, and in Cape Fear. But um, I also, Night of the Hunter is what I was thinking of there. Uh, and uh, Max Cady in Cape Fear. But I like that Mitchum uh, would, like um, Burt Lancaster, would take roles like this in, you know, love stories and lighthearted movies, uh, not just going out and doing, you know, the easy stuff. Uh, and, uh, I mean, the guy had a, a, uh, definite, um, you know, uh, he was a good looking man. I think Mitchum was a, like a ruggedly handsome man, you know, when they would say like ruggedly handsome, there was a new, this must be a new Shirley MacLaine movie. What's this? It just started showing a trailer. Looks pretty good. Um, she hires a young, I guess, a young writer to uh, write her obituary. You know, she's not she's not dead yet. She's not like, as far as I can tell from the trailer, you know, she's still, she's a, uh, you know, senior citizen, but she wants to hire um, this uh, girl to write her obituary. And then when she's going around talking to people who know Shirley, um, this character, they're saying, you know, kind of like she's a bitch and she's a, a black hole of a person and all this and that. And it, it's a comedy, so it'd probably be pretty good. But again, I like this uh, two for the seesaw. Uh, if you get a chance and uh, you like Mitchum and or Shirley MacLaine, it's worth watching. I liked it. Let's go back here since it's Shirley's birthday. And it's Reggie Leach's birthday, who was my favorite uh, hockey player for the Philadelphia Flyers. And he was a First Nations uh, player. Um, and that's one of the reasons I, I really like, I mean, he was great when he was with the Flyers and he scored like 50 goals and, you know, it was like one of the first 
uh, since Rocket Richard and all this stuff to uh, to uh, score that many goals, and uh, and uh, he was just played great. And uh, I remember reading an article about him in Sports Illustrated, and uh, a lot of the trouble that he had um, with alcohol and stuff like that. I watched a movie and I, I'll never remember the name now because I was just going on prime and I'm in the search. I put in the, the word hockey and it brought up like, um, um, of course, slap shot and, uh, Oh God damn it. The Kurt Russell, uh, movie about her Brooks and the, uh, uh, I can't off the top of my head. But anyway, lots of different hockey movies, including that one you know that I was talking about yesterday with about Spinner Spencer and some documentaries and things. Well, they had a movie on there, and it was a a, a movie that was a work of fiction, but uh, they they didn't have real NHL team names, and the jerseys weren't real uh, teams jerseys because they it was like a lower budget movie, so they didn't want to um, have to pay for the rights and all this stuff. But it was about a uh, First Nations um, uh, guy, kid, who grew up in Canada, poor and everything, and uh, grew up playing um, uh, hockey, you know, pond hockey, and uh, then uh, was really good and worked his way up and got in the NHL. Uh, But it was a – I heard that it was based on uh, the life of Reggie Leach. And – there's just the hockey stuff and the uh, racism that he faced uh, from just these asshole knucklehead dickheads, uh, you know, growing up and and in the minors and stuff like that was horrible. But then it it like I said dealt with uh, you know him you know becoming alcoholic and uh, how it it hurt his career and uh, then you know him getting out of hockey because his skills started going down the tubes. Plus, you know, because of the alcoholism. And then there was a reveal that was really, you know, really hit you hard. And I don't know how much of that was true uh, as far as, because it it was kind of like, you know, the character's name wasn't Reggie Leach. I heard that they based the character on him. But, you know, so you don't know how much of the story is true and how much is, uh, you know, drama. And they, you know, took his life and kind of, you know, used it as a template. Uh, the next movie is Irma LaDouche, uh, that, that my mom introduced me to when we were at the beach. I think I talked about that on the show. And this is another pairing of Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, which uh, they, you know, they make a good, uh, I, I shouldn't even say couple, but like just a good pairing on screen. Uh, Jack Lemmon is, uh, you know, always plays kind of, you know, a really kind of a nice guy. Uh, a funny and sweet and nice guy, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, uh, doesn't have that much game, as you want to say. Uh, when a policeman falls in love with a prostitute, he doesn't want uh, her seeing other men and creates an alter ego who's to be her own, uh, uh, who's to be her only customer. And uh, this all takes place in France, and uh, it's not French or anything, but um, uh, like. Jack Lemmon's character is a French policeman. And, you know, um, it has a special, uh, somebody that I did not expect to see in this movie or in a, uh, you know, major Hollywood movie like this. Uh, Cause you have Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine. Uh, let's see. Uh, who else do we have here? Grace Lee Whitney, who was on Star Trek, uh, the original series. 
Howard McNear, who played Floyd the Barber on the Andy Griffith show that I was just talking about. And the person that I was surprised to see show up in this, uh, Tura Satana. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, I don't know of the only movie that I knew her from was Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, which I love. I just love that movie so much. Uh, I want to tell everybody, hey, watch that, watch this movie, you know. Uh, it's really a, kind of a, a special movie, especially like women that I know. I want them to watch it because I think they, uh, some like my sister, and uh, I think she would enjoy it. Uh, let's see, what else was true? Okay, Irma LaDouche was the first thing she was in. That's 1963. The Greatest Show on Earth. Okay, that's a TV series. That's not the, uh, the movie uh, that had Charlton Heston in it, which I, I really like that one. Uh, let's see, Who's Been Sleeping in My Bed? Burke's Law. That's TV, 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 Faster Pussycat, Kill, Kill. Armin Flint, uh, as she was in that, Uncredited. That's James Coburn. I like those Flint movies. They were kind of a, not, a takeoff on uh, James Bond. Uh, the Girl from Uncle, which was a spinoff from The Man from Uncle, another TV series. That The Man from Uncle and The Girl from Uncle were just a little bit before my time, and we did not get uh, the reruns of that when I was like a kid. So I remember seeing it, but I remember like my my oldest sister and my two cousins, a boy and a girl, who were you know maybe like close to ten years older than me, knew about the girl from Uncle. My cousin David was a big James Bond fan, and uh, so Man from Uncle and stuff like that. He had like the toys, and uh, let's see what else was Tura in Astro Zombies. Uh, she plays Satana. Uh, the Doll Squad. I haven't seen any of these. Mark of the Astro Zombies. Um, and these are these are newer ones, so she was a lot older. Uh, the Doll Squad was a 1973 movie. Let's see when was Faster Pussycat Kill Kill was 65. So that was made like when I was the year I was born. I'm old, so in case any of you people didn't know that, I am old. Um, let's see here. Okay, so Irma Ledouche. Good movie. I would like to see that. It's on like Turner Classic because it was on when I was at the beach. Like I said, watching it with my mom. But then another time I was there, um, I was just in my room and and turned on the TV and it was it was on like a, I think Turner Classics. How to get back to where I was at, motherfucker, motherfucker. I get back where I was at, motherfucker. Okay, I'm back where I was at, motherfucker. I remember the douche. What a way to go. I don't think I have seen that. I don't think that's Dean Martin. And is this the okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen this one. And she you do get to see her in a bikini in this with her little tiny little butt. She was a um, a dancer at one time, so she has the long legs and everything. Um this one is it's okay. It's kind of funny because it has an all-star cast, and she has all these different suitors, including uh, Paul Newman in one uh, skit. I guess I want to say skit or vignette throughout the movie. She she has different suitors: uh, Robert Mitchum, Dean Martin, Gene Kelly, Dick Van Dyke, Robert Cummings. Uh, who else is in this? It's it's an all-star cast, baby. Nobody else that I see here. I mean, I see some faces that I know from like old westerns and old movies, but I don't know. I don't know 
can't tell you off the top of my head the movies and everything. Uh, this was directed by J. Lee Thompson, a four-time widow, discusses her four marriages in which all of her husbands became incredibly rich and died prematurely because of their drive to be rich. So anyway, she looks really cute in this. And she has, this is one where she, you get to see her in like different outfits, uh, different hairstyles. Uh, one part, she has like a, a, a pink, uh, almost like a beehive and then a more conservative look. And then you see Robert Mitchum uh, uh, banging a bunch of women at the same time. And Paul Newman is her uh, ex-husband who was an artist. He's kind of like, um, oh, uh, who the fuck am I thinking of? That Ed Harris played? God damn it. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, I hate when I draw a complete blank. It just makes me mad. And it is Pollock, Jackson Pollock. Uh, but not that he plays like Jackson Pollock was, you know, drunk and and very moody and had like, I think, probably mental problems. Some of, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, made even worse from the alcoholism. But Paul Newman wasn't like that. He was more like a beatnik in that movie. Uh, desperate Characters. Shirley McClough. Okay, this is Frank D. Kilroy. I don't think I have seen this. Shirley MacLaine, Kenneth Mars, and Seda Thompson. Marriage of a midlife, middle-class, childless couple is in a rut. Sophie has become depressed, frigid, oh my, uh, and slightly paranoid, and Otto is stuck in an optimistic denial. Things escalate at their summer cottage, but no one dares call it quits. I was going to say, does she become possessed by a... Uh, by like an alien demon and has sex with it. And like in the movie with um, Sam Neill, uh, what the hell is that possession? That was such a fucking crazy movie. Um, Seda Thompson was in the TV show family with, uh, wasn't she, wasn't that uh, Christy McNichol was the little girl in that buddy who was, you know, like a little tomboy that we all were in love with. And then we, Found out that her tomboyism, well, I still have a crush on her from back then, the night the lights went out in Georgia and little foxes and all that. But uh, she would not have any interest in Uncle Johnny. Let's see here. Okay, this looks pretty good. Let me bookmark that. Might be might be worth a watch. Got Shirley in it. Skidoo. Uh, 6.2 out of 10. So I've never even heard of that one. 23 Skidoo. Oop. I'm going to skip up through here because some of these I, I have never even heard of, and this will probably be boring, but, you know, hey, I'm podcasting, so who gives a fuck? Uh, you know, like I said, I, you know, I know some of this shit's probably not going to be that great to listen to for all you people, but uh, I'm just trying to, you know, treat this like a hobby um, and uh, with some of the stuff that's going on, just kind of uh, doing it to, to have something to do. Uh, the Possession of Joel Delaney. And this stars Shirley MacLaine, of course, and Perry King, who was in uh, The Lords of Flatbush. Uh, bow, 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 bow. Do-do-do-do, do-do-do. Hey, hey, what do you say? Looks like it's gonna be a very fine day. Shirley has long hair in this, so I don't know if I can abide that. 
I guess it's okay. She's still cute, but still, I like the little short haircut. This was directed by Waris Hussein, and it's an upper-class Manhattan divorcee comes to believe that her brother is possessed by the spirit of a serial killer who beheaded young women in Spanish Harlem. Okay, and Perry King must play her brother. Uh, and and uh, Lords of Flatbush was uh, Perry King, Sylvester Stallone, and Henry Winkler were, were, uh, starred in that. And that was an old favorite. Back when um, I was in uh, probably like junior high, I loved like Sha Na Na. I loved all the old 50s groups. Yip, 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 and and um and uh, the greaser thing, you know, the whole greaser thing that was going on, the sh- the movie Grease and all that. Uh, so I loved um and uh, and uh, Happy Days. Happy Days really fell off a cliff. Uh, I really loved it when the first couple of seasons, when the main character was, you know, it was all revolved around Richie Cunningham. And they did have a, a big 50s motif. Uh, and then as they went along, like Potsy and Ralph Mouth and Richie and them didn't even wear their hair like that back then. And they were getting older. And uh, Fonzie kind of took over the show. Uh, and it just, and, it, and the stories weren't as good. I liked back when they had like his brother Chuck would be on there. And Richie and Potsy would go sneak in, get fake IDs and sneak into a burlesque show. Those were good shows, but then they just really, they, they just went with what was popular and Fonzie became really popular. And so anyway, this one might be okay. I've never heard of it, but it didn't do very well. It's only about a a little bit above average. I want to see what, what happens here. I like, I like the idea of the storyline. Another movie that I never saw that had to do with like reincarnation was the reincarnation of Peter proud. I remember seeing the trailer for that when I was a little kid and it was a little bit kind of, it kind of scared me a little bit when I was younger. And so I never watched it, but I do like Michael Sarazen. So maybe I'll check that out. And then there was the, uh, the, the movie, Emily Rose, that was, I think, an, a, a, a reincarnation movie. And an, that's another one that was sort of, uh, I think, kind of like a uh, mind fuck kind of a movie that they the trailer was kind of shown almost like a um, uh, Audrey Rose. Emily Rose was the exorcism of Emily Rose. It was Audrey Rose. Let me look that up. Audrey Rose. Um, but the trailer was done like a horror movie and I haven't seen it. So I, it, maybe it was a straight out horror movie, but, um, I, I don't know. I, that's one I didn't watch cause I was a little too scared when I was a little kid. A stranger attempts to convince a happily married couple that their daughter is actually his daughter reincarnated. Okay. And that is Anthony Hopkins. Uh, my mom and I were talking about, uh, silence of the lambs. Uh, when I was out there, you know, helping take care of them. And uh, and she said, uh, I said something about them making a sequel. And she goes, oh, my God, they made a sequel to that. And I said, well, actually, they made quite a few sequels. And uh, then I told her the whole thing about um, Manhunter and uh, the and the uh, Hannibal Lecter TV show. Oh, i got to stretch my, or get my pillow here. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, Marsha Mason from The Goodbye Girl, with where she was in that with Richard Dreyfuss and John Beck. This was a Robert Wise movie. I'll see. Anybody else in this? Susan Swift plays, I guess, uh, who they're trying to say was Audrey Rose. 
John Hillerman, who played Higgins on Magnum P.I. Make that like, uh, was it the uh, Aboriginal that thing that they blow into that goes? Oh, shit. Wait a minute. The mother, the father, the child, the stranger. He's going to harm us. It's Ivy he's after. The past, the present, the nightmare. The terror. I saw her burn her hands on a cold window. The movie. Audrey Rose. No wonder I didn't watch this. Jesus. Lots of screaming. The truth. We're both a part of this child. It will alter your ideas about life after death forever. Eep! Wonder whatever happened to this Susan Swift. Well, let's find out. Did she go on to do anything? Susan Swift, where are you? She was in Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers from 1995. Harper Valley PTA. I want to tell you all the story about a Harper Valley widow wife. She had a teenage daughter who attended Harper Valley Junior High. Let's see. Now she didn't do too much. Uh, so she kind of probably fell through the uh, the crux of being a young actress. And who knows what the hell kind of shit she, had, she probably went through. If that, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe that isn't uh, necessarily, well, I don't know. I was going to say, who knows? Maybe nece- that didn't necessarily happen to everybody. But uh, John Beck, I, I liked him. He was in uh, Rollerball. He was uh, James Conn's best bud in that. And uh, I remember him. Well, he was in uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Um, he was the um, guy that uh, the Governor Lou Wallace kind of uh, made Pat Garrett take him on to help him go find Billy. Because they, they thought that maybe, he thought maybe Billy was, or that Pat Garrett was not putting all his effort into finding Billy the Kid because they had been friends. Um, and they had to keep sleep with one eye open when he slumbered. Turning Point. Uh, I have not seen this, but I really want to because I remember when it came out that it it got a lot of good reviews. Um, uh, when her daughter joins a ballet company, a former dancer is forced to confront her long ago decision to give up the stage to have a family. And I think uh, Anne Bancroft and Shirley MacLaine were like former rivals uh, in ballet. And so uh, I just remember that they, they have like a, a fucking uh, a big brawl, <laughs> which is, which, uh, you know, 
that was something that they always showed when they talked about this movie that uh, they have like a big cat fight. And Shirley MacLaine has like the kind of feathered hair look in this one. Uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov is in this, and he was huge at the time as far as, uh, you know, ballet, became famous and then got into movies. Uh, I think he made a movie with um, Gregory Hines, which was kind of like a spy movie, and also, I believe, with Gene Hackman. This is a Herbert Ross uh, directed this movie. What else did he do? Played again, Sam, with Woody Allen. The Turning Point, okay, that's the one I was just talking about. The Goodbye Girl with Marsha Mason and Richard Dreyfus, which I was just talking about, which is a good movie. That was kind of a, it's a nice uh, uh, chick flick that you could watch with your wife or girlfriend or whatever, or your daughter. Well, I think your daughter could watch it. Richard Dreyfus is naked in one part, but he has a guitar covering his cock. Sus. <laughs> Let's see. This guy did TV, TV, TV. TV, 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 TV. Uh, and a lot of these, um, he is stage director, choreographer, and things like that. So a lot of choreography. So that's probably why he he uh, directed this one, because he is in big time into um, choreography and dance and everything. Uh, choreographer, uh, uncredited for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Oh, what the fuck did they choreograph in that? Maybe when... I don't remember, but was there a scene where they were drunk and dancing? Drunk dancing? <laughs> I don't know. But that's just about all I see here that, uh, as far as directing goes. And like I said, like Play It Again, Sam, that's Woody Allen. You know, well, it says, he, it says director. I would think Woody Allen. No, it says uh, Herbert Ross directed that movie. Woody Allen wrote it. I would have thought that Woody Allen would have... Uh, Directed that. That's uh, Woody Allen, Diane Keaton. She was in a lot, of, you know, at least a few Woody Allen movies. Dig it? Can you dig it? Johnny, what are you doing? Why are you doing another show when you don't have any content? Well, we're doing pretty good. Now, 40 minutes and talking about movies. Uh, like I said, Shirley in this one has like a haircut like they wore when I was in school. It's a short hair, short haircut, but not like super short, like she usually wore it, and it's feathered. And uh, and Bancroft was pretty good. They were both MILFs in this one. They were a little bit older. But when I say a little bit older, my God, I, I'm trying, uh, let's see, 77? Let me see when she was born. Wash away my trouble, wash away my pain, when the rain is Shambhala. Okay, well, she was born in 1934, so, you know, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when she says goodbye? Um, you know, when you get to be my age, that's uh, young. <laughs> <laughs> in 77, like if if I was my age now, in 1977, I would have dated Shirley MacLaine. Or, and obviously, if I was, well, if I was my age now, when Shirley MacLaine was in the apartment or Irma LaDouche, I would have to be probably rich, uh, some famous, like a movie producer, 
or director or a famous actor, which wouldn't be too hard to believe that I could be a famous actor to get her because she was young back then and I would be old. But still, she's pretty cute in this one. That's Tom Skerritt, isn't it? Yeah, Tom Skerritt's in this. How did I miss him? I like him. I liked when he was in MASH and um, also Alien. Wasn't he an alien? Or no? Yeah, he was Dallas. Uh, okay, Cheryl. What are you doing here, girl? Hey, girl. Uh, and then there's a lot of other stuff. Let's move on from Shirley. Uh, so we got to 1977 with her. And uh, Postcards from the Edge, That uh, not that one about not Doris Day? Was it not? Oh, God, who was that? Postcards from the Edge was based on who? Debbie Reynolds and uh, Carrie Fisher. Okay, okay, Jesus Christ. What the fuck? Okay, Postcards from the Edge. Semi-autobiographical. Goody, goody, goody. Let's see. Screenplay uh, by Carrie Fisher. Okay, so it's uh, based on uh, Debbie Reynolds and Carrie Fisher's life. I need to watch that. Postcards from the Edge. I saw some clips from it. Um, so, and let's see, who else is in this? Uh, Meryl Streep, uh, Shirley MacLaine, Dennis Quaid, Gene Hackman, Richard Dreyfus, Rob Reiner, Conrad Bain from Facts of Life, Annette Benning. She was a cutie back then. Uh, and she became a a uh, uh, a baby. She married Warren, and they've been married for a long time. Uh, and he had a big cock, from what I understand. Oliver Platt. Yeah, okay. Well, I I I should have watched this by now. I'm gonna bookmark that. Um, and a substance addicted actress. Uh, that would be Carrie Fisher tries to look on the bright side even as she is forced to move back in with her mother, <laughs> Doug, was Debbie Reynolds, uh, to avoid unemployment. Um, directed by Mike Nichols, too. So that would probably be pretty good. Should watch that. Maybe I'll watch it and review it on the show. Uh, waiting for Light. Okay, Steel Magnolias. I didn't see that one. That, that might have been almost too much of a chick flick. But you know what? That movie might be good. Um... It's a 7.3 out of 10, and it's got some good chicks in it. It's got Shirley. It's got Olympia Dukakis, Sally Field, Julia Roberts, who I always liked her, uh, Daryl Hannah, I liked her. I like Sam Shepard, uh, Tom Skerritt, uh, Dolly Parton, Dylan McDermott. <laughs> he stinks. Um, I could be more famous than him. Janine Turner, I like her. I think she may be a Scientologist, but I still like her. I don't care if she what her political view. Uh, Annie or Anne Wedgworth, she was on Three's Company, and she was the chick, the older chick that was like a nympho that was always hitting on Jack, and he had to pretend he was gay. Uh, a young beautician newly arrived in small Louisiana town or Louisiana. Uh, finds work at a local salon where a small group of women share a close bond of friendship and welcome her into the fold. Directed by Herbert Ross. So maybe I'll check that out. I I liked Julie Roberts back in the day. I thought she was 
pretty. So, and of course, that's all I care about. Well, my mom and sister say all I care about is big boobs, but that's not true. The ass is more important. Two mules for Sister Sarah with her, with Shirley Mack and Clint. She was really cute in this, and if you have a nun fetish, you will like her even more in this one. Who else is in this movie? Clint is uh, pretty, pretty good in this. They have a good chemistry. I, I always like there's a picture online of her coming out, like Clint standing outside, I guess, her trailer on the set of Two Mules for Sister Sarah. And he is, looks like he just woke up. And Shirley is coming out of her trailer in uh, just a robe drinking a cup of coffee. It's a, it's a cute picture because it makes you think, okay, I wonder if these two were, you know, having a little bit of fun. I would have had a little bit of fun. I, I'm fun sometimes. I'm a, I'm Sometimes I'm paranoid and I have social anxiety disorder. And also there are times where uh, with people that I don't know, I tend to go into almost like the, uh, you know, when they say in prison, you have to exert that you won't take any shit. And um, I don't know. There are times when I'm not proud of the fact that I um, subtly maybe give somebody like a really super hard handshake uh, or something like that when they are bothering me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know, Well, you know, that's just, uh, whatever, uh, probably some kind of weird psychological thing being there. Let's not talk about that. I don't want to talk about my brain being there is a good movie. And this was a Hal Ashby movie, uh, starring Peter Sellers, Shirley MacLaine, Melvin Douglas. Um, and, um, after the death of his employer forces him out of the only home he has ever known, a simple minded, sheltered gardener. Uh, that's Peter Sellers, becomes an unlikely trusted advisor to a powerful tycoon and an insider in Washington politics. This is a really good movie. If you haven't seen it, you definitely need to check it out. Also has Jack Warden. Melvin Douglas was good. He played uh, Hud's, Paul Newman's dad in Hud and a lot of other stuff. Richard Basehart, I always liked him. I think he, wasn't he in, uh, was he in... Uh, um, I want to say tw not 20,000 leagues beneath. Well, okay. Moby Dick, but I was thinking he was in the TV show or movie voyage to the bottom of the sea or something like that. That's the first thing that came to mind. He had one directing role. Let, let me go down through. We're talking about Richard Basehart. Yes. I remember him definitely in, um, uh, the, um, movie Moby Dick with Gregory Peck and Orson Welles. Welles. Sometimes I can't fix bayonets. Lestrada, that's with uh, Anthony Quinn. And little cutie uh, uh, Giletta Massina. That's a good movie. Now that's a, that's a movie that really hits me in the heart. I should watch that one again. I have it on VHS in there on uh, the little shelves that my grandma used to keep knickknacks on. Now it's full of VHS tapes. Uh, Titanic, Decision Before Dawn. Lestrada, I already said that. He must have went over to Italy 
uh, and made a bunch of movies. Moby Douche. Uh, Brothers uh, Karamazov, that is Lee J. Cobb and Shatner is in that. And Richard Basehart. I saw that a long time ago. It's a pretty good movie. Um, Yul Brynner, uh, Maria Schell, Lee J. Cobb, Claire Bloom, William Shatner when he was really young. Of course, he plays the youngest of the brothers Karamazov. Uh, Simon Oakland. I, I've said this a million times on the show. I really like him. In um, Oh, Steve McQueen movie and Bullet and... Um, Sand Pebbles, Sabadoo, Shabado. Uh, let's see what else we have here. What was I looking for, Richard Basehart? Oh, like Voyage Beneath the Sea or something like that. Naked City, that's TV show. Combat, TV show that Dave Mack really likes. Uh, King of the Sun, that's Yul Brenner. So Richard Basehart had like a little bit of a connection. You can see some of these big stars, some of the uh, people that, they work with, you know, Yul Brenner and Brad Dexter is in this movie, and he was with Yul Brenner in Magnificent Seven. Leo Gordon, who is a really interesting real life character, he played a lot of uh, heels in westerns and gangster movies, but he was a real life uh, former uh, convict. So, I mean, he had a real story. Uh, Richard Basehart, George Chikaris. I think, was it George Chikaris that was, I think it might have been him that I was reading and about, and he was talking about, if I'm wrong, there's two guys. There's George Chikaris and there's George Maharis. And I'm trying to think which one it was that was talking about being gay back in the day and said that one way that they could get away with like having cruising like a public restroom and having a hookup in a bathroom or a bathroom stall in public bathroom was you would take like grocery shopping bags. And that was back when they had the big paper uh, ones that were kind of square that had handles at the top. And you would have one guy stand, like have two of those bags and have one guy stand with his feet in those, so then it would look like there was only one person in the stall, and they would do stuff. I didn't know that. I guess, it, you know, it seems like it would work, I guess. Uh, was it George Chikaris? He was in, um, um, not How the West Was One, West Side Story. <laughs> Let's see. George Chikaris. And George Mahar, Maharius or Maharis was in that, uh, was it Route 66? I give lots of false information on here because I'm just trying to remember without actually using my resources. George Chica, Chiki, Chica. Um, come on, come on, come on, come on, now touch me, babe. Put your feet into those shopping bags. I want to suck your dick in those shopping bags before I eat a sandwich driving down the road trying to get the sandwich. Let me just look up something that will be easier. Like, was George Chikiris gay? 
The only reason I want to know, I don't really give a fuck, is that I just told that story and I wouldn't want to um, say that one guy was and one guy wasn't. Uh, let's see. West Side Stories Queer Origins. Oh, good, good. Da, 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 da. Veteran is the veteran actor George Chakiris uh, gay? And if that's Greek, would that be? Yeah, it probably would be George. Because I was thinking, like, if it was French, it would be George Chakiri. Chakiri, but it's not. It's I think it's Greek. Uh, glance at net worth, family, yada, yada, yada. I'm looking, I'm probably thinking that he is. Does he have a gay partner or wife? The rumor of his marriage was never met with confirmation, leaving his fans bewildered. Therefore, it's hard to tell whether uh, or not George married. Many rumors have swirled around regarding the actor's sexuality and romantic life. I do believe that I read that in a, um, and in a, uh, God, I don't know if it was Hollywood Babylon or something. That's not even like a really good source, but I don't even know if that's what what, what it was. It, there was a couple of books that I had about uh, like being, I got my sister one of them for Christmas uh, about gay Hollywood and things like that. Uh, George Maharis was in Shaft. Was that... Okay, yeah, Shaft. Uh, what else? See, this is like rabbit holing. And I was on Shirley MacLaine, and now I'm way off in the goddamn distance. So I need to get back there, but I am still want to look up George because I brought him into the conversation. And we'll just look him up real quick. I dig it! I remember him more, I think, from a TV show. It was like a car... Yeah, Route 66. I was right. My brain worked. I'm smart, not dumb, like like everybody says, like dumb. Uh, he last thing he did was 1993 doppelganger, and I wonder if he passed because he was an older guy. You know, uh, let's see here, Mister Peepers, that was uh, what's his name? Who was supposedly Wally Cox? Uh, who was Marlon Brando's best friend, and I believe Marlon Brando also his... Um, Marlon Brando kind of went both ways, and I think that Wally Cox was his... Uh, I shouldn't say significant other, because Brando was married, but I think they were really close. Uh, like, Brando really broke down and everything when Wally Cox died, and uh, I believe I've read in some books that they were more than just friends, but I'm not sure. You never know. Even Brando's biography that he uh, put out that was, you know, that he approved of, um, it's like Klaus Kinski's, uh, the one that Klaus Kinski put out himself. Uh, they lied a bunch and it just made shit up, and then they admitted that they lied and made shit up just to fuck with people. Naked City, that's a, again, TV show. Richard Basehart was in that, too. Exodus, that's Paul Newman. Uh, and that was the one about um, the um, Jews going to Israel after World War II. And I watched a, uh, a video about that on YouTube before I started doing the show. Uh, and, of course, like the British uh, did not want any of these Jews from Europe to come into, um, you know, 
Palestine and everything. And, uh, um, but they came in anyway and they started their own thing, started their, you know, and eventually started their own state and everything. But this was the, about the beginning of the Israeli state and the struggles they went through. Paul Newman, Eva Marie Saint, Peter Lawford, Ralph Richardson, Lee J. Cobb, Salminio, John Derrick. Uh, who else? Oh, that probably is just about it. Paul Stevens. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff and he reminded me of what's his name that played um, uh, Bella Lugosi in Ed Wood. But it's not the same. Of course, not the same guy. He, this guy was all over um, TV in the 70s. <coughs> Exodus. I like Paul Newman. Just about everything he was in. Can't think of too many movies that uh, Paul Newman was in that I did not like that I have seen. I mean, there uh, there was one um, that was about like some kind of game in the future when Earth has going through like I don't know if it's like going through its second ice age. Uh, but I, it didn't do very well, and I never watched it. Uh, what the fuck was that movie called? Because everybody's is like in the winter and everybody's wearing like fur. Um, quin, quintet. Synopsis, please. Paul, and then he made the one movie about the volcano. It wasn't bad. It was an Irwin Allen deal. If you know what I'm saying, baby. Quintet. Okay, I don't care. If it's this difficult to find a fucking synopsis, you can suck my cack. And Sam Houston. I talked about Sam Houston and Lee Horsley on the show at one time. Sword and the Sorcerer. Wasn't that uh, Lee Horsley? No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So George uh, Maharas was, maybe he had some kind of connection with the horseman. Horsecock. So well, let's get off of Maharas and... Chakaris. <laughs> I just wanted to see who George Maharis was dating or like married to or whatever. I like I like some of the um, uh, stuff like that. He's got he looked like maybe he had some plastic surgery. I, I can't tell a picture where he's like older and he's got a beard and gray hair. The beard's really sculpted. Maybe he just he doesn't look that bad. He he I don't know. He was a good looking dude. He kind of one picture here. He kind of almost looked like a young Burt Reynolds. Oh, Shambhala, baby, Shambhala. Late in his career, hepatitis. What happened to this man? Satan's bug. Okay, now here's a real synopsis. This is a lot of shit. Uh, TV stuff. A lot of TV stuff. Uh, Kojak, Bionic Woman, Police Story, Return to Fantasy Island, Logan's Run, Crash, Fantasy Island, Matt Houston, TV, TV, TV. Um, it always, I always wonder why on some of the Wikipedia they don't have anything like, they usually have something that says personal life. I'm just trying to find out if the fucker died and what he died of. Okay, he appeared in da da da. Maybe he's still alive. I don't know. 
Okay, yeah. Oh my God, he's ninety-four fucking years old. Um, no wonder I couldn't find out if he died. Dem Let's see. He and his wife, Demet Demetria or Demetra, fifteen years his junior, married in nineteen twenty-five. The marriage produced seven children crammed into a house at 1918 Drive, Long Island City. <laughs> well, that's a little bit more than I needed to know. wonder what she looked like. Was she a hot? Was she a hot lady? Is that her there? <laughs> Cute lady. Cute lady there. Demetra. Okay. Okay. I think we have it all. Fitness. What's he doing here? Is he working out? Is he lifting weights? I got a pretty decent looking uh, figure there. Uh, kind of Tom Jones-ish in a Speedo. That might have to go up on the, uh, when I post this, uh, him. And then I'll find one of George Chikaris in a Speedo. George Chikaris Speedo. See if we can find one of him. And then we'll have matching Georges. Oh, yeah, we got one of him in Speedo. But it's like not, well, there's one. He's like a gladiator or something. Oh, no, that's the one with uh, Yul Brenner um, because he's got like a leopard fur on his back and kind of like sort of like maybe Aztec kind of stuff. Speedos. Speedo. Whoa, that's George Michael. That's not fucking George Chakiris. That's a very young, very thin twink of a George Michael. Uh, I love that song, Freedom. You got to give it what you take. Yeah, yeah. I won't let you down. That was a good video. Good video. Okay, let's move back on here to what we were doing. We can probably move off of Shirley. Too. The Kings of the Sun was the one with uh, Chikaris and Yulbrenner. Uh, that was something that Shirley and Field. And what, this one is on the coast of the Gulf of Mexico. The Native American tribe of Chief Black Eagle clashes with the Mayan tribe of King Balaam. So it's Mayan, not um, whatchamacallit. But anyway, that's it's worth checking out. It's a kind of an epic. has some action in it. I always like Yule. Uh, I, I liked Yule. Right on. Did you hear what he said? Right on. To me. Yule was cool in uh, Magnificent Seven. Steve McQueen was cool, but Yule was cool, man, with all that bl all that black and shit. And uh, he walked like he had a fucking broomstick jammed up his ass. He was so cool. He didn't put up with no shit from fucking what's-his-face. Um... Johnny, what are you doing? Hey, Johnny, what are you doing? Okay, back to Cheryl. Joan of Arc. With the Lord to guide her. So, okay, so there, okay, and she was in Cannonball Run too because like Dino and and um, Bert and um, what's-his-face was in that. Uh, Sammy Davis Jr. But um, that movie sucked. Let's see, Postcards from the Edge. I don't think there's too much more here that I want to talk about because there's just a ton of stuff that she has done that I 
I uh, have not seen Bernie. That's the one with Jack Black I talked about in the last episode uh, with Matthew McConaughey about the real life guy that ooh, was scamming people in the funeral business. My mom told me when my uncle George passed away, my dad's brother, uh, that was when my back was really fucked up and I was in the hospital and everything that it cost $8,000 to have someone cremated. Now they did put him in an urn and they did dig like a, a little hole. I said they could in an urn, they could just dig a hole with like a post hole uh, digger at the cemetery. Cause they wanted to put him there where my grandma and grandpa were buried, but it cost $8,000. Now, uh, even I think even if you take the ashes and spread the ashes, they still charge you quite a bit for uh, just I guess like burning up the body, and because um, I said, well, you know, once you just just spread the fucking ashes instead of burying them, they could have just went where their gravesite is. Nobody's going to be there, and just pour the ashes. Oh, you're not supposed to do that. And I was like, well, if nobody's there, then who gives a shit? You could drive. He he loved to to uh, fish, trout fish up in the mountains. I said something that would have been really, uh, the, if it would have been my choice, I would have been like the big Lebowski. If he definitely wanted to get uh, cremated, have him put the goddamn uh, ashes in a fucking coffee can or something. Go up to the mountains where he used to fish and pour the ashes out along the stream. You know, that that would have been perfect because, I mean, that was his passion. That and, like, um, uh, WVU football and basketball games and stuff like that. Uh, he was like the uh, – we always said that he was kind of like the Will Rogers of our little town because he didn't – you know, everybody liked him. And uh, let's see. Okay. Now, okay, you got a Paris, France. Yeah. Charlie Irma Ladouche. And there's Madonna. Like I said, you know, I don't know. These shows aren't going to be worth a shit, but who cares? I mean, you know, let's just have fun. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else did I watch on YouTube? I watched a uh, little uh, clip about Pete Gent, who was the writer of the book North Dallas 40 that starred the movie, starred Mac Davis and Nick Nolte. And it was pretty good. It's funny watching some of the players that actually played with him on the Cowboys that came out and said uh, after they either read the book or watched the movie that, oh, it wasn't true. He was just making up shit. And then you had other players who played at the exact same time uh, on the exact same team that would say, you know, those guys were full of shit. Uh, that movie and that book was 100% right on, and everything that happened, happened. So, you know, okay. Uh Partridge Family, 24 hours a day, girl, that's not the way I planned it, it would be you and it would be me, girl, 24 hours a day, girl, 24 hours a day, would you want to be with Susan Day 24 hours a day back when she was on the Partridge Family? Danny Bonaducci, I really got to where I disliked him because he was a little man uh, who like took all these karate classes and shit and then got on steroids and had like little man syndrome. And uh, it just kind of bothered me. It was like, dude, you know, go to a psychiatrist. And then when they had that show, uh, that reality show about him and his wife and his kids, 
Uh, and I mean, he's a drug addict and he was an alcoholic and he started drinking. And when he would drink, he'd get real violent and real mean and shit. And, uh, I just always have hated that. I hated it with people that I knew when they would drink and their personality would totally change from somebody that I really liked and really liked being around. And then they would drink and it was like Jekyll and Hyde. And I was like, uh, get the fuck away from me. That's, that's the kind of shit where I would go into, um, you know, I don't know when I was talking earlier about <laughs> how I react. It just puts me on. I just want to let them know you better get the fuck away from me. I do not like this. I do not. Whoever, whoever this person is, I do not like you. When you sober up and the, my friend comes back, then that's fine. But when you are whoever this person is, I don't want to be around you and you better fucking tread lightly. Ah, uh, whatever. Big mouth. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, my goodness. I was watching a lot of To Catch a Predator. TCAP. There is a TCAP uh, like group on Reddit, and uh, they make like um, uh, animated things that make fun of the predators that they catch. And of course, these predators on uh, To Catch a Predator with Chris Hansen have become almost, um, uh, you know, I was going to say famous, but infamous, uh, some of them about how stupid they are and how they acted and everything. This one dude that was, he was a school teacher. Uh, what was his name? Walter Bapst. And he was a school teacher and he showed up and um, uh, he was like, as soon as Chris Hansen came out, he goes, uh, you know, just just arrest me, take me away, and execute me. I'm just fucking a moron. I'm so stupid and everything. But then they on on that uh, TCAP group and on YouTube, they have people like a man and a woman that would read the chats transcripts of these people, these predators talking to the decoys on the phone, and uh, and um, they're they're disgusting and they're fucking perverted and disgusting. But like this Walter Bapst, um, he was on there and he was supposedly talking to like a 12 or 13 year old girl. And he was talking about having sex with her and he was going to come over when her mom went out of town and everything. They were planning on getting together and everything. And um, he was talking about uh, wanting to like jizz in her mouth and she said something about like what's it what does it what does it taste like? And he said that he had tasted his own, and he said it tasted like uh, uncooked pancake batter, and that it didn't taste good, and it didn't taste bad. But if he could, you know, for the use of a better term, cream pie in her that he would like, you know, go to town. And I was like, pancake batter, <laughs> uncooked pancake batter. <laughs> fuck? So anyway, you know, to each his own, the, you know, the main thing there is, you know, he's, he's a, uh, a child, uh, a, a groomer and a predator looking for an underage girl. Now they, they, what's funny was he got caught on, to catch a predator. And I think it was like for two weeks after that, he was still teaching in the school because nobody contacted the fucking school. 
And then I, he got arrested, uh, and so then uh, I think his lawyer or something called the school. But he, um, ever since then, I think they were showing like a thing about what had happened to him after, and he had been like an airplane mechanic before he became a teacher and an engineer and had a degree and a master's degree and everything. And he was married, uh, and I think he had a kid, and he was married when this happened. Uh, but then he, um, I guess him and his wife stayed together, and that was a long time ago. I mean, like 20-some years ago or whatever. And uh, they're still together, and he worked as a um, an airplane mechanic and on in some uh, business, big business that was like a, he was an engineer, um, so, you know, I, they always say like, uh, with people that are child molesters that, uh, you know, that do it like all the time, you know, or, or have done it a bunch of times that they're, they can't be rehabilitated. I think some of these guys, some of these guys, if they had never done it before, um, I'm not making any kind of excuses at all because they get what they deserve. Um, but on the internet, I think some of them get caught up in like some kind of a fantasy and they start talking and they're probably whacking off and to this fantasy and everything. And then they are talking to this person and the person's like, Hey, you know, let's get together while, and they're, they're in the heightened state of, uh, euphoria from being all horned up and, uh, talking about sex and everything. And then they show up at these places. Now there's some of them, there's a bunch of them on here. I think that have probably, are uh, serial child molesters and have done it and done it and done it. Uh, because like I said, the one documentary I watched about that had the prison that was full of sex offenders, uh, they were talking about how many of them, and the movie with David Soul, where that uh, was, I think that was just called Rape. Um, uh, he was a rapist, but they can't be reformed. And they they always, you know, even when they're in the, one of those places where they're getting all kinds of treatment, they um, can get to the point, like a drug addict, they can get to the point where they're teaching the fucking, the the uh, rehab thing and telling them, you know, the new people to come in. Yeah, I've been there before. You need to do this. You need to do that, blah, 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 blah. And then as soon as, not well, not as soon as they get out, but they get out and then eventually they go right back to it because that's just their thing, I think. But uh, apparently this Walter Bab, Babst, has not reoffended that anybody knows of. Uh, but when this happened, uh, they went to the school that he taught at and they were interviewing some of the students and there were gr- girl students that said that he had acted inappropriately and um, like looking down their uh, dress or making comments and stuff like that that would be inappropriate. So fuck them. And let's see what else. Uh, I watched some uh, uh, documentary stuff about Daniel Boone and also about Davy Crockett at the Alamo because, you know, those were two big things. Uh, Davy Crockett, Billy Bob Thornton played him in the Alamo, and so did John Wayne uh, in his version of the Alamo. And um, so that's movie-related, of course. Uh, But what actually happened at the, you know, at the end of the Alamo, you know, of course, in John Wayne's version because it was uber ultra, you know, uh, um, uh, America propaganda kind of a thing. You know, they show John Wayne getting stabbed by a Mexican soldier with a bayonet and then throwing a torch into the, uh, 
ammo dump, which was full of black powder and dynamite and stuff. And he blew it up so that the Mexicans couldn't get it. Uh, but from what um, the documents and stuff of people that survived it and the soldiers that were there, the Mexican soldiers and generals and things like that, colonels, generals and everything, and civilians, uh, the way that um, the Alamo with Billy Bob Thornton uh, ended was pretty much what they were saying happened that Davy Crockett did survive to the end. And I think there was like seven guys that survived. And uh, then Santa Anna <coughs> gave the order that they be uh, executed. So um, these guys just drew their sword. There was a bunch of them that didn't want to do it. And especially with Crockett, because he was kind of famous, uh, like uh, books had been written about him, uh, plays and stuff like that. And he was a congressman. Um, and, um, but, um, Santa Anna gave the order and these guys just drew their swords, their sabers or whatever, and just came over and just hacked them to fucking pieces and killed them. Um, there was one thing they said, uh, that, you know, that they don't show in the movies was that, uh, well, in, in, I think in the one with Billy Bob and Jason Patrick, um, they did show them sitting around like the campfire and they had blankets around them and everything. They said it was a really cold. It was down below, like, you know, like in the, in the thirties, uh, that night. And, um, that there was a whole shitload, like five, I can't remember how many hundreds of Mexican soldiers they came at night and everybody was sleeping. So, uh, or maybe it was like early morning before anybody got up, but they said there was hundreds of Mexican soldiers before in, within the walls before, uh, one, the first shot was fired. So, um, they caught, they were all tired and, and free, you know, not freezing, but you know, cold and everything. So they were, there was a lot of them sleeping. So that's one of those things where, you know, like the, uh, when they talk about, um, teaching, uh, you know, stuff about slavery and things like that in the schools and these right wingers don't want to, they want, they want the, uh, the legend and stuff like that to be taught. And even with today's, um, things going on, like you say, in the military with Pat Tillman, or again, when I was talking in the last episode about American sniper, that guy, um, you know, you can see where the government right off the bat wants to take these guys and no matter what happened and try and turn them into a soldier, or it's not a soldier. They already are a soldier, but into like a, this, a big hero. So, and a lot of that is propaganda and, and, uh, also to get other people to sign up, you know, where you're like, Oh, top gun, man, I want to join and fucking go over and kick some ass. And I want to do this and that. I want to be like an American sniper and, or the Navy seals and, uh, uh, Wahlberg and all those guys in, um, Oh, not lost patrol, but whatever the fuck that movie was called. Um, and those movies, you know, they make, and, and I mean, they've done that for year, you know, year after year after year with different wars. Uh, you know, so it makes you wonder like, uh, like, uh, Sergeant York. Okay. Was he really, you know, if they go back, I, I, I saw the movie with, uh, Gary Cooper and it was a, a good movie and everything, but I'm sure, or Audie Murphy, uh, you know, you read about 
you see the movie, but then you read about all the shit that he really went through and how bad it was. And, uh, you know, I would rather see the, I, I'm sure, you know, we all need our legends and everything. And they, what's the saying? Uh, if you have a, uh, the, the, the legend or the truth, print the legend because it's, it sells better and it's, you know, more exciting. And we all need our legends. Uh, you know, like Daniel Boone, a lot of the stuff that they're talking about him is, you know, of course, you, you, if you watch the Fess Parker TV show, Daniel Boone was a man. He was a big man. Uh, you know, but um, the story about what really happened to him and how, you know, he went from like uh, North Carolina, South Carolina to, you know, and just uh, all over the, um, you know, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, up into West Virginia and all over the place and everything. And he was in politics, too. And, you know, his, the history of his life and his family and his wife and his sons, he had a bunch of sons and a bunch of, that's like John Brown, the abolitionist. I was watching something about him and they, you know, these, these people had big families back then, like 12, 15 kids. And, but the thing was, I would be like, man, he had like 12 kids, but then you would see like four of them died before they were even in their teens or, you know, some of them died at birth or some of them died when they were little kids. And then, you know, okay, he had like 12 kids and then he had eight more with another woman later. But like I said, the life expectancy back then wasn't, you know, what it is today. And then, you know, just kind of like the, the, uh, adventure, adventuring and, uh, building, um, um, like Boonesboro and, uh, like a trading post and, uh, and then he had like a, a, like John Brown started a tannery and all this stuff. But one thing about like Daniel Boone and, and uh, 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 John Brown that, that uh, I noticed uh, was they had big families and everything uh, and they traveled all over the place, but also they owed money everywhere. <laughs> I mean, they were in debt up to their eyeballs everywhere. And Daniel Boone even went out to, um, oh my God, where was it? Uh, I think Missouri maybe. And, uh, there was one place that they went and, oh, he, there was, I can't remember what, what war it was, if it was against the certain Indians or the French or who it was. And he was like 77 years old and he wanted to sign up to fight. And they were like, no, you're too fucking old. But anyway, they're interesting characters. And if they would, if they would tell their stories, um, and, you know, be real about it, that they were real human beings with frailties and, you know, and everything else and, and, and how they were, or if they were funny or nice or whatever. And if they did owe money and they were like, fuck, I got to get out of here. Cause I can't pay these bills. You know, you can relate to that too. You don't have to make them into like a God uh, dig it. But I like Fess Parker's TV show. I watched that all the time when I was a little kid. And he also played Davy Crockett and he was in some world war two movies too. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? The Alamo. I was just talking about that. Uh, Jim Palmer from the, uh, Baltimore Orioles. I was watching a thing about him and he said that, uh, Roberto Clemente was the most feared hitter that he ever faced, uh, that he did face Hank Aaron, uh, uh, in baseball, but, um, not that often because they just didn't play each other that often, but that Clemente just, I guess, from the things that, you know, Clemente is like a big hero in my family, uh, cause we grew up close to Pittsburgh and, and, uh, he's a hero to me because I've said this before on the show that, um, he died trying to help people. You know, uh, there was a big, um, earthquake 
and uh, he was uh, tra- taking like provision supplies and medicine and stuff like that uh, to help uh, these people. And his plane crashed, and he was killed at the height of his career. And you know, just a good guy. And everything I've read about him, you know, you read about a lot of these sports guys, and they screwed around on their wives and stuff all the time. And and uh, you never would hear that, even when it was addressed. People would say, you know, he had friends. Um, that he would go and stay with, but even they would say he was never like that. He he was the kind of person that liked like uh, an, an extended family and friendship. That you know he could go and stay with somebody, and they f- cook him a home cooked meal and this and that, give him a place to sleep and stuff like that. But he was devoted to his wife and his kids and everything. Um, but um, Clemente like. Uh, Manny Sanguino, who was my favorite player, but Manny never had the numbers that Roberto had. He was a catcher. Um, but they both were really good, uh, bad ball hitters. And you would watch, if you watch any of the clips of uh, Roberto, I mean, they could throw the ball way outside, and most people wouldn't even try and hit it. And it, would, it would be called a ball. But he would reach out and hit it to the opposite field or, or you know, hit it right between uh, – you know, the, the uh, uh, second and shortstop or, or, you know, wherever there was a gap, he could hit it there. George Brett was like that too, where, and uh, Cal Ripken, uh, Pete Rose the same way where they, he would, he wasn't just getting up there swinging the, the, the bat and wherever the ball went, it went, he would put the ball where he wanted it to be. But Clemente, they said, you could throw it. You could have probably thrown it like uh, two feet over his head and he would hit it, you know? So that was kind of cool. I like watching stuff about him. Uh, they, there's a movie coming out about George Foreman. Uh, I'm not sure if it's out yet. And that's a really interesting, good and interesting story because of how he came up and, um, he was a big, bad, mean motherfucker. If you think about like Mike Tyson and Sonny Liston and those guys that were really intimidating, I mean, George Foreman was a wrecking ball and he hit like a fucking ton of bricks, uh, and every people were scared of him and he would intimidate people on purpose and then, you know, Ali kind of was like the uh, matador taming the bull. And when you hear about, like, you know, people would always say, okay, if you stand up to a bully, uh, that's, and, and you know, you kick their ass or whatever, then they're never the same again. And that's kind of how George Foreman was after Ali kind of uh, Tori adored him uh, to the point of exhaustion <laughs> and beat him. Uh, Foreman was never the same after that. And the old kind of mean George Foreman, uh, militant, kind of a mean guy, kind of went away, and he became a preacher. And then he came back, of course, when he was like 50 and started boxing again. And he would, you know, he was real big and shaved his head and everything, great big burly guy. But he still had that, he was slow, but he still had that big, huge punch. And, uh, you know, he did really well and made a bunch of money. Had a bunch of kids too, so. I don't know if that movie will be any good or not. You know, again, that's another one where I think I would wait to see it. I watched a lot of stuff about uh, AEW wrestling. I like uh, watching stuff like, especially about Cornette, Jim Cornette making fun of John Moxley and those guys. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Come town. <laughs> what the hell's that? It says come town, Brendan Schaub and his cool shoes. I don't remember watching that. I remember watching uh, a bunch of stuff about uh, Brendan Schaub and how he had the, Worst comedy special ever on Netflix. Two of the worst ones ever or something. Um, 
he's like a, he was like an MMA guy and he was pretty good. But then he, once he got knocked out one time, then he got like the glass jaw and got the shit beat out of him a bunch of times and then had to retire. But he was friends with Joe Rogan and was on his show all the time. And he's kind of one of those guys that was the big, uh, uh, you know, tough guy, athlete, tough guy. And he's kind of dumb and uh, tries to be funny. And people sometimes would laugh at him just because, you know, they, I mean, because of who, kind of sort of like kind of who he is and, but he's not really funny. And uh, they, they just don't want to, you know, sit there and go, Jesus Christ, right to his face. So he actually thought he was funny and decided to become a stand-up comedian, and he's still not funny. And he steals. Uh, Rogan went off on uh, Carlos Mencia for years and even went up on stage when Carlos Mencia was on stage and called him out for joke-stealing. And then he turns around, and Brendan Schaub was like one of his best buddies, and Brendan Schaub stole all kinds of jokes that he did in his stand-up and shit, and it's been proven. But Rogan wouldn't, didn't even say anything about him about it. I watched something about this um, steak.com uh, that Fillion did online. And basically, it's um, they hired these guys, and they'll pay them like a million dollars a year to sit there and play um, online casino games that they have uh, for like 12 hours a day on like Twitch or something like that. And you'll see them, and they'll be down like $800,000. And they're like, God fucking damn it. Jesus. And they're real super animated. But then like uh, after like an hour and they're like, God damn it. Jesus Christ. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? They'll hit for like $1.5 million. And they're like, yes, motherfucker. Woo, yes. Oh, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Well, the thing is, they're, they're like, it's called stake.com. Well, they actually quote unquote stake these guys to money. They're paying them like a million dollars a year, supposedly. Uh, to to do this, to play like um, 12 hours a day. But what they do is they get these guys that are kind of influencers and then they pay them this money to do that so that they will get people will watch them and they'll see them winning and they'll think, oh man, I could win too. And then they'll get into it and get into the gambling. And it's still all, uh, you know, in the odds are in favor of the house, just like any gambling, any casino. And they'll get on there and say, you know, I, I don't promote gambling. I you know, don't do it. And, you know, the only reason I do it is because I have the money to do it and everything. And they even asked, like, one of the guys, they said, uh, if Stake wasn't, or whoever, there's different companies that are, like, offshore places. If they didn't have, if they didn't spot you this money, would you still play the way you play and play for, like, 12 hours a day and put your own money into it? And they would say no. So it's kind of like a disingenuous and a, a bit of a scam because it's kind of like you're, you're promoting uh, these people winning and the excitement and everything when you know it's kind of bullshit. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Watch some stuff about R. Crumb. Uh, and um, they were talking about whether he was a, uh, you know, you can like his art but still not like the guy. And the one thing they were talking about is he did this um, uh, comic at one time about uh, if African-American people took over the world or took over the United States and everything in it was really stereotypical. And I think, you know, he was doing it for, uh, you know, the reason of, of showing how stupid these, how these people think 
that you know the stereotypes and everything and how how dumb the stereotypes are and but that this is how these people would perceive this is what would happen even though what's funny is like uh, uh when Mandela won um um the election uh in South Africa the one of the things you know there were a certain group of people that said hey let's kill these fucking you know white people that were our oppressors and he said no we all need to learn to live together uh, we're going to work together and, you know, do what we can to, to reparations and stuff like that and a truth commission and everything. But, um, so Crumb put this comic out and it was like, uh, you know, it used the N word even in the title of the comic and everything. But the thing that pissed people off was that a lot of white supremacists and stuff adopted that comic, even though he was presenting it like a satire and uh, a takeoff showing how stupid these fucking uh, white supremacists and stuff were in their views and, uh, and the racist in their views. Uh, but they were pissed because Crumb didn't come out and like uh, denounce those groups and say, you know, hey, this is, you know, it's because I wrote this because you're stupid and this is the stupid shit you believe. He didn't actually come out and say that. And they should, and they used it. And I think his thing was, you know, why should I have to, you know, if a moron buys my book, should every, every moron that buys my book, should I have to come out and say, you know, Hey, you're a fucking moron. And this is making fun of you. And that's how I see online. A lot of people that talk about, um, uh, the old TV show, uh, all in the family, uh, when they're posting stuff about that, there's a lot of these right wingers that are like, yeah, man, they couldn't make this show today. Uh, Archie told it the way it was. And then all these people, including me, are like, uh, you don't get it. Fucking the reason that that show was good and the reason it was on the air was because Norman Fell was making fun of Archie and how st- and showing how dumb he was. He wasn't showing Archie like, oh, man, this is the way it is, and Archie speaks the truth. He was showing Archie because Archie was stupid, and you're too stupid to see it. So I've seen, I see a lot of that. Uh, back starting to kind of hurt a little bit. Uh, Man on Fire is with Scott Glenn and Joe Pesci is on YouTube. It's uh, free with ads, but still, I like that movie if you want to watch it. I thought I was going to get to watch On the Waterfront, but I own it, so I don't know what the big deal was. It actually had to pay for it on YouTube, but uh, I can watch it anytime I want, so why did I get mad? Uh, The Rat Patrol, uh, the whole series um, with Christopher George. Uh, It's a World War II... um, uh, TV show that used to be on. I watched when I was a kid and Dave Mack used to watch it too. Uh, it is on YouTube free with ads. If you want to watch that show, it's pretty good. Eric Braden is also on that. Uh, and, uh, he, he of course was, um, uh, in, um, was it escape from planet of the apes and also, um, the, uh, Forbin experiment. And he plays Victor Newman on young and the restless and he is on Facebook, and one thing, he's a pretty cool guy. I like him a lot. He does a lot of uh, uh, videos that he puts on his uh, Facebook page and talks about, you know, different things. And he'll respond to you if, you know, he he's into exercise and boxing and stuff like that that I was into, lifting weights and everything, and uh, just fitness. And so I've, I've uh, made some comments, and he's responded on there. Uh, and, and he likes dogs and stuff. And, uh, so he posted a couple of pictures of his two dogs. And so then I posted a picture of Mary and then other people were posting pictures of their dogs. 
And but I found out last night um, he had posted a uh, video. Uh, apparently, he started. I mean, he's an older guy. I think he's like in his. Let me see how old he is. He's like in his eighties, I think. Um, his politics line up, uh, uh, you know, not perfectly with me, but I mean, he uh, is pretty sensible. I think. Even like with Elon Musk and things like that, he will be like, I'm, I want to, um, um, you know, say this to Elon Musk, you know, what, what are you doing? You know, well, like about this blue check mark, you know, you've got enough money. You don't need to, you know, ruin your legacy. And, you know, he's like, what are you doing, man? You, what's this shit? What's this shit about the blue check mark? You don't need that money. You know, why, why are you doing this and everything? He goes, you know, you don't need to ruin your legacy. Use, use the money that you make for good and everything, but you, you know, you don't need to be, you know, so I think he, he's definitely, uh, for, for capitalism, which I think most people are, but not unregulated, uh, extreme capitalism that where all the money just goes to the top while everybody else languishes, and uh, you know, there's got to be regulations to keep it in check, and to uh, to if you're going to talk about the free market, you actually have to have a free market. You can't have people that crush, you know, the free market and then claim that you're into cap capitalism and the free market when you're in the business of crushing anything that would be a free market. But anyway, he is 82, and what he was talking about was um, he said, you know, I don't usually would like to talk about something like this, but I think it might help somebody. He said he started having problems uh, going to, you know, peeing, uh, urinating. And um, so at first, you know, it would just be, it was just, he, he, at first he was going all the time. He said he couldn't even like lay down for like every, every 30 minutes he would have to get up and go pee. Well, then it got to where he couldn't go at all. And it just got to, he, he felt like he had to, uh, but he couldn't. And I, you know, that's like a, a prostate problem, I, I guess, you know, you, when you start getting older, if you start getting in a large prostate. And so he went to the doctor cause he was starting to get in, you know, like a lot of pain. So he went to the doctor and the doctor put a catheter in and it just drained all that urine out. And he said, I immediately felt better. They left the catheter in for like, you know, three days and he told him to come back. So he came back and, um, um, but after a period of time, and he's going to different doctors and stuff, um, the one doctor, uh, he went in, the doctor, he went to a urologist that was kind of like a famous urologist. And the guy was putting a catheter in the end of his dick. And, uh, he, you know, he says, is it really uncomfortable? And he's sitting there going like, oh, you know. And the guy's like, are you an actor? And he goes, y yes. And he goes, uh, and the guy's threading this thing up the end of his dick. And he's like, uh, uh are you on TV? And he's like, yes. And he goes, are you Victor Newman? And he goes, yes. He goes, doctor, why are you bringing this up now? And, and he said, uh, uh, he thought it was funny after the fact, but then he realized that the doctor was kind of like distracting him because, you know, it hurts and it's uncomfortable threading a, a catheter up through your, your urethra in your wang. And um, so anyway, they found uh, cancer up in there. And um, so they got him in there and, um, uh, uh, I guess, uh, went in and did surgery. And, uh, the doctor, when he came out, he said, um, he was looking at the results and he goes, I, I got all of it. And then he's looking at the results and he's saying, well, wait a minute. And cause when he said, I got all of it, Eric Braden was like, Oh, thank God. You know, but he said, you know, you hate 
when they say you have cancer and then every time you go to the doctor, you're just like, you don't even want to go. But, and every time the doctor comes in, you're just holding your breath thinking, oh my God, no, what's it going to be? So when he said, we got all of it, he was like, oh, thank God. But then the guy's looking at the sheet and he goes, well, wait a minute. Well, they didn't get all of it. Uh, there's different kinds of cancer cells. There's the ones that are really bad and are real aggressive. And then there's ones that aren't as bad. Well, they got almost almost all of all of it, <laughs> but there was still some of the bad that was left in there. So he said there was some kind of an uplift thing he was talking about that they do to your urethra that gets you back to normal where you're peeing uh, not uh, too much, and you're but you still have the ability to pee like you did. Uh, I think he said something about like uplift or something. But um, what they were doing to treat his its bladder cancer, I guess, is they took like a strain, a less virulent strain of, I thought he said tuberculosis, and they inject that, uh, I'm assuming like a fluid or something, into your bladder. And what that does is um, it kicks your antibodies, uh, Colossus, the for, uh, it's the Forbin, project. I just said the Forbin project. Um, they, they put that in there and what it does is it kicks your, your natural antibodies into, uh, you know, overdrive because they, they kick into overdrive to fight that, uh, tuberculosis. And then they start attacking everything and they attack that cancer. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where he's like, you know, um, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to beat this. And, and you're rooting for the guy because if you watch any of his videos and stuff and he talks about like some of the movies he was in and the TV shows and when he was on Gunsmoke and, and shows like that. So it's kind of cool. And like I said, he's a pretty cool guy. He's, he's, he's a little bit of, of a, he's German and he's a little bit of a macho guy to an extent, but in a good way, because like I said, he's, he kind of is not like a fascist piece of shit. He's definitely anti-Nazi, anti-white supremacist, all that shit. Uh, and I like that. Um, and again, he, because he has a voice, because he is famous, he, like with Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or somebody like that, you know, he'll call them out on their shit. And, but he'll also, you know, uh, say, you know, come on, man, you know, you can do better than this. We all need to do better, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, uh, so I hope, I hope the guy does, you know, I hope he pulls through this. I watched him on Young and the Restless for ages. And like I said, in that Planet of the Apes movie and the, um, the uh, Colossus, the Forbin Project. I really like that. Um, he did a movie called The Man Who Came Back, which I think he might have directed and produced too. Uh, it's a Western, and I thought, oh, man, this would be good. But um, no, he didn't direct it. It's a, I think it was made in Canada, but it has Billy Zane and Carol Alt in it. Um, but to be honest with you, I admire uh, that they put the effort into it and everything. Um I think he was too old for the part. Um, he, I mean, my God, at the time, this was 2008, and he was still much too old for, for the role he was playing. But it wasn't, I mean, it was worth a watch, but I, I'm even though I, you know, like I said, I like the guy, I didn't think it was that great of a movie. Had Armada Sante, George Kennedy, uh, Peter Jason, who always reminds me of Meatloaf, Ken Norton, the boxer, Sean Young, uh, James Patrick Stewart, Carol Alt, and Billy Zane. Um, but anyway, if, if, you know, if you 
wanted to watch it fine, but I I wouldn't uh, give it like any. It's it rates a four point nine out of ten. Uh, I might go a, like a four, but like I said, you know, western and it just kind of like I said, miss kind of a little bit miscast. I mean, but you know, he, they tried. Uh, how much time we got left here? I might just go ahead and give it. Well, I got about thirteen more minutes, but I might just give it up anyway. <laughs> give it up. Baby, give it up. Now. Uh, what else did I watch? I watched some stuff with Wang. Uh, My Little Pony in a Cum Jar. Uh, <laughs> where the guy had a, a two little My Little Pony plastic uh, figures. And he put them in a jar. And then he would come in the jar. And then um, he, he was hiding the jar from his parents. And he had it in a little cupboard, I think, in his bedroom, I believe, uh, that had little doors on it. So it was stuck behind these clothes, hidden back in a corner. Well, there was a radiator close right by that. And I guess it came on and it uh, boiled the cum. And <laughs> he took the, the, they showed the jar and it's like, you can see where, it, where the water, well, I was going to say water line, but I guess it was the cum line. And it boiled so much that it boiled some of it off and it discolored the My Little Pony. And um, Wang was on there just laughing his fucking ass off. I thought he was going to piss his pants talking about it. Uh, the Brazilian SpongeBob Olympic uh, incident. I don't remember that one. I remember him talking about the the Olympics down there and what a fiasco it was. But I must have took Mary for a walk and I didn't see that one because some of the ones that Wang does are like that I was watching were like playlists and they're like three to six hours long of just different stories from Reddit and uh, 4chan and the uh, internet and they're funny as shit. Some of them are gross as hell, but just him talking about them is funny. Uh, three hours of furries and animal stories that was a good one. Um, Let's see what else we have here. Anything? He was talking about Hulk Hogan claiming that uh, Metallica wanted him to become the bass player after Jason Newstead died or left. Their original um, bass player left. And then when, I don't know if it was when the original bass player got killed in a bus wreck. And I don't know if Hogan was claiming that it was after that that they ask him, he said something about my friend Lars Ulrich uh, asked me if I wanted to play bass for them. And then they contacted Lars about this because this came out in Hogan's book and he didn't even act like he knew who fucking Hulk Hogan even was. And he said it wasn't true. But Hulk Hogan did play the bass. They did show he was in a, in a uh, group called Ruckus in Florida and they played the bar scene down there uh, at one time. Uh, but I don't think he ever got uh, offered to. He claimed that he was a studio musician at one time, too. I don't know if that's true either. Um, let's see what else. Oh, he talked about Mark Zuckerberg's uh, outfit that he always wore, the same shirt and the same pair of pants, which was kind of stupid. Um, Ram Ranch, that was a good one, of course. I'm into everything Ram Ranch. <laughs> Okay, we're winding down here. I don't think that there's uh there's George the Animal Steel and Killer Khan versus SD Jones and Kurt Hennig. I always liked George the Animal Steel when he was a bad guy and he was just like it was when he was younger. He was the student George or uh, Jim Myers, he was a school teacher and a football coach at this high school. And then uh when school was out, he would go and wrestle in WWWF 
as George the Animal Steel. And in Detroit, he was the student, but he wore a mask. Uh, and he was managed by uh, Playboy Gary Hart. Oh, the thing about the uh, Max Headroom um, coming on TV back in the uh, over-the-air um, television signal days, cable, before cable, uh, and this Max Headroom thing came on and was talking and the SCC was trying to track down who the fuck it was and how they did it uh, right in the middle of like a television show. What's this here? Abdullah the Butcher and Don Fargo and Waldo Von Erich and Big Bad John versus Mark Lewin, Spiris Arion, King Curtis Iakea, and C.W. Ayub. That was a guy, um, Prince Ayub was a, uh, in, I think an indigenous guy uh, from Australia. And um, so he was big down there. And King Curtis was a big pothead who went to Stanford College and also um, was from Hawaii. And he would sit on the beach. He was like the king of the beach in Hawaii after he retired. And he had like a little thing where he rented, I think, like surfboards and stuff. But he sold weed all the time. And him and Mark Lewin were big into smoking the dube. And uh, Mark Lewin had like a, um, what do you call those things? A um, That you got out of the ocean, off the ocean floor. Sand dollars. And I think he had like one made up, like into a necklace that he wore around his neck. But it, had, it was dipped in uh, LSD. So, um, you know, if you wanted, you could go up and he would hold it up to you and, and you'd lick it. And then you would get fucking high as shit. So that's kind of cool. Just, you know, kind of weird shit. Um, if you watch stuff about the horrifying history of shell shock, where they show these guys that have shell shock from uh, World War One and stuff, uh, like some of the oldest videos, it's really sad. I mean, it just shattered these guys' minds. And, uh, you know, watching that is very, very sad. Uh, there's a new King Kong trailer out. There's, I think there's going to be a new King Kong movie. And uh, people were speculating because they show like a silhouette of this ape sitting on a throne and uh, that, you know, people, I think at first glance thought it was King Kong, but I think it's the villain of the movie. And it's a, it seems to be almost like a different kind of ape, uh, maybe sort of more orangutan-ish really long arms and not as thick as Kong. But there are people that are, it was like a teaser trailer and there are people that are trying to uh, decipher, you know, who and what that is going to be. So I don't know. I'm not sure. I liked the, um, the King Kong movies, the, the uh, first one. And then the one with Godzilla and everything. Uh, let's see. Or what was the one was, yeah, King Kong, but then there was a Godzilla movie too. And I like Shin Godzilla. Oh, what else do we have here? Anything worth looking at? Johnny, watch that thing about the uh, lady boys in Thailand and sex workers in Thailand too. And uh, this guy was talking about, you know, how tourists go over there and don't treat them with respect. And, you know, that's what I was saying. I, I may have said this before, but I mean, even prostitutes and sex workers and stuff like that, people that treat them just like, you know, dog shit even when they're customers of them and they treat them shitty and abuse them and everything, that's bullshit. Even, you know, they, the, uh, to me, like even the term lady boys, I wonder if they take offense to, you know, transgender people would take offense to that too. I hear that term used mostly uh, for, you know, like the people in, uh, in Southeast Asia, 
that are transgender, that are uh, sex workers. But, um, you know, even in those cases, people are like, oh, whatever. And, uh, but those are, they're still human beings. I mean, they're in that position sometimes as sex workers, bec- not because they even want to be. They're, they're, being sex- they're being trafficked. But uh, even if they want to be, it's because they live in such poverty. And uh, the only way that they can make a living and make money uh, is to do that. Um, you know, so I, I just think that there's a, a lot of, um, you know, especially I think one of the main things that they need to do, uh, you know, even around the world, if they legalized uh, sex work like that and regulated it, taxed it, uh, made the uh, people that are engaged in it um, as far as the workers go. I mean, even have like a set amount of hours and, you know, uh, the, uh, free mandatory testing and things like that. It's just like the drug trade and everything. When when you uh, have a prohibition against it like they did with alcohol uh, and even marijuana now, you know, which is lightening up, but look at all the people that went to prison for marijuana charges and now it's becoming more and more available and more and more legal in places. Same thing with alcohol. You had people that went to prison for alcohol, making alcohol and going to speakeasies and stuff like that. And now it's, you know, it's legal. Um, you just create a black market when you do that. And it's, it really does create the, all the sex trafficking and stuff like that. I mean, it's created because of, uh, of the laws against it and how they, you know, you, you treat those people like they're subhuman and like they don't, uh, you know, they're, they're don't even, they're not even human should even be treated like human beings. So, you know, people don't give a fuck. Uh, and it's kind of sad. So like I said, when I see these things about these guys moving to Thailand and, uh, not just with quote unquote, the lady boys, but even with the the young girls over there, these older guys and these older uh, tourists and stuff that go over there, or even expatriates that go over there to live just because they can get these young girls to take care of them and, and have sex with them and everything and, and live with them. It's just kind of sad because, you know, are they doing it because they it's somebody that they love or are they doing it because they are basically being abused and exploited because they're poor. And I just don't like that. It's kind of sickening. But anyway, okay, I don't, there's no need to go down to the last two and a half minutes. I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, hopefully, you know, some of the stuff's worth listening to. I don't know. But, um, you know, uh, maybe I'll keep it up and uh, uh, see how it goes. It's just kind of nice to, to do a little like a pseudo radio show uh uh, stream of consciousness, maybe. But today was, I guess, would be like a Shirley MacLaine show and uh, uh, Chikaris and Zaharias. Every time I get done, I'm thinking, okay, what is the title of this show and what should it be about? And what should I post as the picture? So anyway, I hope you guys uh, at least get to listen to it every once in a while. And, and I hope everybody's enjoying it. If you are, you know, that's fine. I'm just doing it for myself. And for, you know, like I said, I'm doing it for you guys too, but I understand that, you know, it's not really um, a uh, structured thing and that I'm just babbling sometimes. But hopefully it make you laugh every once, once in a while. This is Dr. Zom saying, ciao, babies. <laughs>